and welcome back to Shout Scratch. You're listening to episode 70. There's no pill for homelessness. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we bring together medical students, junior doctors and expert guests to discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor, but that you might not get taught so much at medical school. I'm Pat, I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ, and I'm also a medical student at Anglia Ruskin University. Today I'm very pleased to be joined by our friends Lily and Kaude. Lily, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Lily. I'm a final year medical student in East London and I'm just revising for my final exams, which are in two weeks. And then I'm basically done. I have elective, which is insane. So that's very exciting. Yeah, time flies so quickly. And I know, have, it's insane. Have you received your, is it your allocations as well? Oh uh, yeah, we get them in two weeks. In two weeks, okay. Yeah, yeah. On um, on the tenth of March, I have my final ever written exam of medical school. I get told where I'm going to be for the next two years. I have my UCL intercalation graduation. Anything else? Maybe that's it. And there are some personal things as well. Lots of anniversaries on that day. It's so weird. Oh my god, that's so much. But very exciting at the same time. It's exciting. Yeah. And yeah, nice to have you back with us. And Kaiode, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I am Kaiode. I am a final year medical student at the University of Dundee. Um, it's not so sunny today, but it's snowing, which I wasn't expecting. I'm not. I'm so not happy about this because it just made it, it just delayed everything this morning. I couldn't walk as quickly as I wanted to. For some reason, the snow trucks seem to like oh. I don't know if you can tell the sun is shining on my face now. (laughs) (laughs) They seem to just neglect my street, but every other street around me gets like gritted and everything. Just my street, my specific street gets left icy and I live on top of a hill and I'm always scared I'm going to just slide down, which has happened before in the past. So yeah, I I wasn't expecting the snow. Otherwise, I'd have put the grit myself because I bought some last year because i was like i'm not having this anymore but yeah other than that i'm i'm a-okay i've already done my finals um same position as lily waiting to hear back from allocations which i'm surprisingly nervous for i usually don't care about about stuff like this until the day of it i was like oh my god this is happening today but i've been yeah all over the place this week refreshing <laughs> fingers crossed that you guys get your first rotation and yeah thanks for joining us i'm also delighted to introduce our expert guest today dr andrew moscorp andrew would you like to introduce yourself hi so yeah my name's andrew gosh i've done my finals uh and my first rotations and i'm just sort of having palpitations at the sort of uh the flashbacks uh to that but I, so i currently work as a gp here in oxford uh, at a practice that works with people who are homeless in the city and yeah i've been doing that for the past few years yeah thank you for joining us today There is often a debate whether medicine is an art or a science. Our curriculum tends to favour the science bit. We bury our heads in the pathophysiology of diseases and management algorithms and guidelines a lot. But are we treating the symptoms or the cause? We are taught a holistic approach to medical history and, and examination, you know, um, with the social history of the patient embedded in the um, algorithm when we're taking history. Although there are caveats to this, there's increasing research suggesting that your postcode has more of an impact on your health than your genetic code. What can doctors do to better address the true cause of people's ill health? So I thought in this episode we could talk a little bit about whether our medical education is teaching enough about social determinants of health and whether there's a disconnect between our undergrad training and actual clinical practice. So Cowden and Lily, um, well, you know, we're taught to elicit social history when taking um, 
full medical history. How, how much do you learn about social determinants of health at med school? Oh, I'm not sure how much we get explicitly taught. We def- I'm sure we've had at least one lecture with a nice slide that has social determinants of health on it. But I don't know whether I think the people that tend to be more aware of that stuff are people who just naturally have an interest and kind of passion for that sort of thing. And also there's a difference between naming social determinants of health like tokenistically like a list and actually be able to have a conversation where you fully understand the scope and the depth of how people's lives can affect their health and I don't think that all medical students could do that but I would challenge most medical students to be able to list three things that would affect health that aren't necessarily just organic problems if that makes sense yeah yeah Karina I think I saw you nodding there when you when um, Lily was mentioning you know people when people are interested in it then you know they kind of can link between the social determinants of health and um that one day taking history yeah definitely I think it's one of those annoying things where attempts can be made to teach these things but it's one of those things that you find not that many people engage in i know for um my job so in my, my uni we do two general practice um placements in one in fourth year one in fifth year and for each of those placements we have to do like a poster about like um one pages that we've seen and sort of like describe their life story and look at the data surrounding the postcode and everything and I think some people really engage with it some people not so much and I don't don't know I I think I think attempts are made to teach these things but I don't know if they're taken very seriously because like you said in your introduction um, people focus a lot on the science because that's what you're ultimately going to be mostly examined on and they sort of forget about all the social stuff I think it probably can't be taught in a lecture format, which is tricky because I don't think medical students would respond very well to being given like a seminar or like being split into tutorial groups like you do for like social science degrees. But again, I think medical students approach most of medical school as what is examinable material and what can I tokenistically learn to pass, which I don't blame them for because you have to pass these exams and they're really hard. But if we teach everything in that way and we kind of put that onus on exams, things like this, which aren't necessarily to try and get one more mark on the exam, they're just to make yourself a better and more rounded doctor, they will always fall to the wayside, won't they? Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, personally, I'm interested in kind of social determinants health side of things and that's how I kind of learn more about it rather than learning it from lectures I suppose um I think we can talk a a little bit more about this later but um Andrew I know you've written about um about this gap between the undergrad education and actual clinical practice um yeah so in your opinion do you think that this connect between the undergraduate precepts and actual clinical practice well it's kind of interesting because you know sort of hearing you guys uh I mean it totally resonates to my experience uh, 20 years ago, like, you know, when I was sort of finishing up at medical school and, you know, like what you're saying about sort of how it's really not that examinable or at least not quite as readily as, say, naming the bones of the fingers or, you know, whatever else uh, might be sort of uh, at stake and sort of more, uh, you know, easily accessible in an exam format, you know, like which drug to use for which problem, all that kind of stuff. These things definitely are sort of rather more uh, complex. That's, you know, that, that's uh, there's no question. Uh, and I also recall sort of 
it was definitely sort of fairly selective in terms of who actually bothered to engage with these issues at med school and, and who didn't and it was uh, and I'm sure that actually at the time I didn't particularly um, so it's kind of in a way it's sort of it's kind of nice to know that uh, you know my sort of experiences uh, and recollections still uh, hold currency and sort of remain valid. At the same time, it's kind of uh, a bit of a shame to sort of hear that things haven't quite sort of moved on as they might, because I think that our understanding of the importance of these things probably has sort of progressed. And, and it's sort of a shame that, by the sounds of it, medical schools haven't quite uh, found a means of, of of making that apparent in the curriculum uh, and and in the teaching because, you know, the, these things aren't really just a sort of, or they shouldn't be merely a, a peripheral interest of, of those that sort of happen to, uh, you know, find it moderately interesting because all of our patients will be, um, you know, impacted uh, to some greater degree or other um, by what we sort of term the social determinants of health. You know, they're, they're tremendously important. I mean, like, you know, even to the extent that like, some authors would sort of claim that, uh, you know, deprivation, for example, uh, can have as big an impact uh, on your health as smoking or obesity. You know, the things that, that we would sort of consider to be, you know, that's what we work with in, in terms of, of healthcare, and this is, you know, what's important to us in terms of sort of understanding patients' risks and, um, and their likely outcomes and so on and so forth you know uh, actually our social circumstances should be really right up there um, so it's kind of a uh, sort of unfortunate to hear that that, that kind of qu- hasn't quite gathered the pace that it might have done like when Andrew was talking it made me think a bit more about um, the teaching that we get in my medical school and I would say actually in hindsight we probably don't get that much teaching on it but we get a lot of assessment on it at least within my medical school anyway the importance of these topics is there but i think the the delivery and ensuring that people understand and learn more about it isn't quite there i think universities or at least my university does the central teaching on social determinants of health well in that like we're all aware of them and we're taught them and i actually do think that at least my university people are able to research and you kind of find the right articles and evidence to back up claims but what I think is missing is which I think maybe relates a bit too much to our empathy episode is the kind of emotional education for me the biggest moments of really absorbing the impact of people's lives on their health has been on our GP placements so we do them every single year at my university and it's always the home visits and it's visiting people's houses where all the, the mum and the dad and their six children all live in one room and they have maybe have one living room but it's and we had there was one family where their daughter was autistic so their entire flat was covered in crayon on all the walls um and which they couldn't move out because they were renting and they wouldn't be allowed to get their deposit back um and they all slept in one bedroom and for me those moments are the real like I remember all of them so distinctly in my mind and they're the things that I really hang on to whereas I think that isn't centralized you can't like mandate that every medical student goes and visits a poor family that like just is ridiculous um and that's kind of just happened by chance uh, i don't know if every medical student gets that eventually but it kind of ties into what you're saying is that eventually once you're a doctor you cannot avoid those patients in those situations so you do you will just willingly or unwillingly have an emotional education in how patients lives can be so farly like so we don't so different to the lives that we think people just live um i wonder how we can kind of introduce that sort of emotional education into university i don't know how we do that 
Yeah, I think in addition to that, um, as you mentioned, the kind of social circumstances of patients or the people around them can have such an influence on the health of the patient. Andrew, with your background in you know general practice as well as working with um, a vulnerable group of people, do you see kind of these uh, healthcare management kind of play out in the community? I think that's important, and it certainly is a big part of uh, of my work. You know, so I'm sort of thinking about sort of seeing homeless people. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of, and, and certainly if they're sort of homeless on the street, there's all sorts of ways in which that might impact um, how I choose to treat them. So, you know, I don't give them 56 tablets of whatever medication uh, it is because they've got nowhere to put it uh, and and I certainly don't give them a pile of medications that might have a street value because it makes them more vulnerable so you know it, it certainly sort of impacts what I do but at the same time you know those sorts of things in which we accommodate someone's social circumstances into our management plan whilst really helpful for the individual it is I think to some extent it is kind of slightly accepting of the status quo and and are we okay with that you know like so am i you know am i okay with the fact that you know these patients are are homeless well i'm not really so um and if i'm not then i you know i got to kind of i don't think it's enough for me just to sort of you know practice in a way that sort of recognizes it but also to sort of do something to sort of advocate uh, for for some kind of change, and I guess that, and I suppose maybe that's maybe that's the significant difference between uh, you know people's attitudes towards this, because uh, as you say, people very often do sort of incorporate this into management plans, but then you know is that where it ends? Um, and perhaps for some people it is, um, for others it might not be. Um, but you know, like I guess you know you can't sort of resolve these issues in the course of your clinical practice, but you can sort of um, um, you know, advocate for or, and, and support, uh, you know, perhaps policy changes that might sort of uh, alter things. Uh, and you're quite right, not everyone sort of wants to get political about this. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, it is politics that uh, shape people's contexts and uh, as a consequence shape the presentations that, uh, that we're met with, uh, be that, you know, six kids in a single room or whatever. I think you said really beautifully there about kind of standing in the patient's shoes and thinking about say um it was a homeless person um kind of adapting the management plan to their circumstances and i'm just thinking uh, if it would help to have kind of representation of um doctors from that kind of background to truly understand what circumstances people are going through um and it just happens that um one of my friends at med school they kind of come from that background and um i interviewed her about what was she going through when she was in that circumstance my name is Maz Sadler and I am a fourth year medical student at Anglia Ruskin. I was homeless uh, sporadically for six years between the ages of 14 and 19. It's quite difficult to condense because it's quite, with every person who has an experience of homelessness, it's really multifaceted. It's, there's so many layers to it. You know, you don't just wake up in the morning and then your landlord kicks you out. And I mean, obviously that's how it happens for some people, but with so many others, there's like such an array of socioeconomic factors from a healthcare perspective um i think we sometimes as medics get frustrated when we see any patient um repeating health behaviors that we know like have a negative impact on them you know say if you have an alcoholic who who has dreadful liver disease and they keep coming in over and over again and they don't stop drinking or if you have a diabetic who 
continues to um, not manage their diabetes well. You know, there's all sorts of frustrations that I think we allow ourselves to fall into. But with homelessness specifically, um, there's this kind of societal stigma that they are people who just will not help themselves, who won't do what it takes and what's necessary to get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you are homeless, your priorities just completely shift. Like, it took me a good five years to be able to shift away from seeing each day as an individual unit that had no relationship to the rest of time. Um, because when you're homeless, all you see is like the day in front of you. Just you see, day. yeah, you just see where am I going to get food today? Um, am I going to be able to have a shower today? Like if you're female, you know, am I going to be able to get tampons? Am I going to be able to, you know, wash? Can I afford clothes? All these things like it's it's a very much a survival mindset. And I suppose um you know, with your experience, especially now you're kind of close to the end of medical school. And so I suppose how, uh, what kind of things would you, would you want your fellow medics to understand when it comes to proposing a management plan? You know, as you mentioned, the priorities that a patient with no fixed abode have will be very different from the priorities that our doctors have. I think that understanding the contributing factors and going out of your way to understand the contributing factors as a doctor um, can be just as important as treating the disease in front of you especially um you know if especially if you're in a kind of like more community facing role like maybe gp or something like that um if you have somebody who you know is returning with the same issues or you you suspect there might be something else going on like mm. i think it's really important to um not only involve yourself kind of more in what's contributing to this but also um seek help from others in the community you know the social workers and the mental health support workers and um all this these mdts um that can uh really provide more holistic well-rounded support to that person i also think that there's a real fear of judgment okay so say say a man is homeless and he's had a sore on his leg for six months and if he'd got it seen six months ago it would have been fine but now it's you know it's septic and it's terrible and the longer you leave it the worse it gets well saying to a patient well why didn't you come in six months ago I mean first and foremost it doesn't help the situation in front of you now and it's not really our place to judge anybody's situation but that will make that person and anybody that they tell about it less likely to seek help in future. Um, So I think it's really important to just bear in mind kind of however busy and stressed you are and however frustrating (laughs) the case in front of you may seem like nobody, nobody wants to be in that situation and nobody would choose it for themselves. You know, like this, this misconception that, homeless people are lazy and they choose to be that way because they can't be bothered to get a job is just so outrageous to me because you know I would do anything in my power to to avoid ever returning to that situation and I'm very lucky in that I was only um only in it for a relatively short time compared to some other people 
Um, and I had the benefit of my education and my friends to help me get out of it where a lot of people aren't that fortunate. So I think I'd really like to see um, medics have a level of compassion for everybody generally, of course, but for people who find themselves in living in circumstances that that you just think to yourself, okay, would I choose this for myself? If not, then they probably haven't either. This is probably, they're probably a victim of circumstance. And so my job here is to treat the person that I see in front of me without judgment, first and foremost. And secondly, establish, is there anything that I can do more holistically to help this person's situation? And if not, I might see them again in two weeks and that's okay because they need my help again in two weeks and I might see them again a week after that and that's okay because they need my help again a week after that. Our job is to just kind of be there and do what we need to do non-judgmentally without, um, because because lecturing people never never got the point across, right? If, if you're not willing to help in a meaningful way, it's just, you know, it's just words, it's just noise. Yeah, Andrew, I know that you work with um, people, uh, vulnerable people, like homeless people as well. I don't know if um, anything, uh, that was in the clip, is um, it's kind of similar to the things that you see in practice. That was uh, that was really interesting. I mean, and I was kind of amazed that this person is now a colleague of yours. You know, that's kind of great because uh, I think in lots of ways, not least obviously, because her life has clearly significantly altered and, and she sounds sort of like as though she's you know very much happier uh, about that now understandably i guess the other you know sort of neat thing about it is that it suggests that you know there's a sort of perhaps a growing diversity of medical students i don't think that predictably uh, we've been very good on that in the past you know there tends to be sort of a fairly uh, we're, we're pretty homogenous actually as a sort of profession in terms of social class uh, ethnicity you know we tend to sort of uh, you know the, 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 like you know patterns sort of get repeated it's kind of like very often uh, medical students their parents were uh, doctors this kind of stuff um, and and it's nice to sort of hear that actually a sort of maybe some barriers to to entry into medical school are being at least challenged uh, so, so that was kind of encouraging. It was fascinating too to sort of hear her talk about how, you know, in her situation she had wholly different priorities from those that might have been those of her her uh, caregivers. And I think she's quite right to sort of point out how, you know, people in in that situation they can be really frustrating to deal with. You know, they, they, it can look like as though they're sort of thoughtlessly just participating in sort of self-inflicted harm, whether that's um, through uh, through alcohol and, and uh, you know, the consequence of liver disease that she sort of mentioned too, whether it's sort of uh, drug use or whatever. Um, and, you know, and, and so it's important to sort of, I think, acknowledge that our... Uh, frustrations about that and try and sort of uh, put them to one side and sort of recognise where the uh, the patients are and you don't even need to be sort of homeless to sort of find yourself caught in that trap of uh, self-defeating behaviours you know like and if we allow ourselves to sort of get annoyed with people because they're continuing to smoke and drink too much then we're going to be engaging in an awful lot of victim blaming which as was pointed out in that clip, is sort of unhelpful, really. It doesn't sort of actually uh, bring about behaviour change. Um, and and it's really the, the wholly sort of wrong approach. Yeah, I think there was loads to take away from that clip. I found it very moving. Yeah, and not least, definitely my biggest thing was actually kind of... Which is, this is obvious, um, but there isn't this dichotomy between medical students or doctors and 
patience in terms of it's not always us as the kind of like traditional like white saviors kind of like trying to solve people's problems and actually as Andrew has said medical students and doctors are becoming more diverse and kind of the more that we challenge the traditions and stereotypes of medicine we're going to have a more diverse workforce which will be able to engage and empathize with our patients better which will only create better health outcomes and then also I think the other thing is that uh, yes other than kind of political activism and advocacy as you said Andrew in terms of what doctors can actually do in their day-to-day jobs to make some sort of difference I think Um, as the clip says if we come into situations compassionately and we take a moment before we see our patients to remind ourselves that whatever they come in with we need to be safe and non-judgmental and welcoming and not uh, focused on a behavior and actually focus on the person in front of you and what their life is like I think we can have more constructive conversations and appointments with patients that actually produce real benefit for their health which at the end of the day is our job was I think if you go kind of go about your day focus on how stressed you are and how busy you are and how many patients you have you don't go into situations with that mindset and understandably you don't have time or you'd think you don't have time to kind of access that compassionate part of you you think all you have time to do is treat their broken hand in A&E and actually if you just give yourself 10 seconds you might have a more honest conversation with the patient and actually make a bigger difference in the long run if they feel they can come to doctors and talk to them and share earlier rather than later which I think is the entire goal of medicine eventually is to be improving patients outcomes in the long term rather than in the short term and I think I think that's important and and even though as we were saying you know there are a sort of like a whole bunch of sort of social factors that uh that are sort of playing out some of which are uh unalterable by us at least um I think how we deal with people is really important because uh you know even within the the NHS and if you're going on to a career in the NHS you're already off to a sort of good start in terms of sort of like uh you know your impact upon health inequalities because the great thing about the NHS is you don't have to pay for it so finances and people's social circumstances don't act as a barrier uh to the same way that they might in say a private healthcare system so that's great you know if you're playing a part in that that's wonderful but it's important to recognize that even within the NHS People who are poorer, people who have poorer education, they tend to do worse. They have worse outcomes from care. They've got less satisfaction. They wait longer for appointments at their GP practice. They wait longer in A&E. And they wait longer for uh, routine surgery appointments. And so I sort of suspect that there's something going on there. And, you know, and, that, and that, doesn't, that shouldn't be a consequence of, of being poor or having sort of like fewer educational opportunities, right? So I think there's something that's going on there about the way in which... Uh, the interaction occurs between these people and the health service and probably uh, between uh, the patients and and doctors and so I think that if we can sort of acknowledge their context and actually not uh, allow that to prejudice against people unthinkingly because we're sort of stressed uh, and we're having a difficult day etc etc if we can actually sort of overcome that even though they might be frustrating to deal with because some of this might seem like as though they've brought it on themselves uh, through alcohol or whatever um, you know if we can get over that then I think we sort of go further towards actually uh, reducing some of the uh, the disparity some of the inequality in outcomes from uh, health experiences uh, and, and healthcare experiences. Mm. We'll discuss more about the wider implications of health inequality in the system, but that'll be right after this message from our sponsor. 
Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with Medical Protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective, no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, every week one lucky new joiner wins £183. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. Okay, back to this show. How do I just, in response to your, um, yeah, to Lily's, to Lily's point about um, the time constraint, as well as um, your point, Andrew, about um, kind of navigating the healthcare structure, um, just to give a really extreme example. Um, so I volunteer at a prison, and then you can see people, kind of the same people, going through the revolving doors of prison and sometimes you know when you offer to help them um they could just feel very well even the patients or the, or the people themselves just feel frustrated um and helpless because of this kind of labyrinth that they have to navigate and you know as you mentioned the long waiting times i mean you know especially stuff like mental health and 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 especially if they're in a situation where to think about like the next meal that kind of thing um how how can you communicate with the patient to just kind of show that you know, um, well, we're trying to help you, um, but the system is not the the most helpful thing um, to help you in this situation. I, I, it's tricky, isn't it? Because I guess that, you know, I guess what we've got to acknowledge too is, uh, you know, there's going to be a bunch of people for whom we are the system. You know, that's what we sort of represent. Um, and and unfortunately, those are, it might well be the very people that we're trying to understand and engage with. You know, if you sort of think about... Uh, you know the sort of breadth of, of patients that we might uh, encounter there'll be those whom we find it very easy to work with they may well be uh, graduates and they may well have a similar sort of educational and social background uh, to ourselves but then there's going to be an awful lot of other people who may have an awful lot of health needs and maybe even greater health needs who are you know for whom that's not going to be true they won't have gone to university they won't have had the uh, the educational uh, privileges that we've had and we might represent something that's uh, intimidating to them you know going to see their GP might feel a little bit like going to the job centre where they're going to sort of get berated about their behaviour or something like this. Uh, it might sort of feel like, you know, just yet another uh, engagement that they've got with an authority figure. So they might, you know, actually kind of be uh, on their guard and somewhat sort of wary about uh, having conversations with us. So I think, you know, we've got to be kind of in tune with that if we can as well. And and it's true not just in general practice, but in hospitals too, right? You know, by the time we've uh, been shoved out the end of, uh, of medical school, you know, like hospitals are our home. We're totally familiar with this environment. And yet for an awful lot of people, it's going to be absolutely intimidating. You know, it's, it's full of like really well-educated people who are doing really, uh, you know, sophisticated technical tasks. And it might be, you know, if you're homeless, that's a world away from your day-to-day experience. And it's pretty wacky to find yourself in there. And I think that, uh, so recognising that... Uh, 
uh, is kind of important. Um, so yeah, just sort of you know being aware of what we might represent uh, to the patients that we're dealing with um, can be kind of important. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, which is that part of this challenge is recognising that we also make the system that we're in and the harsh reality which is not acceptable is that there are patients that you leave longer in A&E and you see them later and there are patients that you give appointments later to in GP and that is awful and completely speaks to our prejudices and kind of what we think is an acceptable patient and who deserves care and the quiet nice grateful patient often doesn't align with the patient who needs our care the most um I think that's a again that is just a challenge that is so in the scope of this podcast we're not able to solve that problem but we just choosing people to go into medical school and then cultivating a culture of doctors who are not prejudiced and who are aware of this sort of thing and do treat everyone equally inverted commas um is going to be the like challenge of medicine I think for a very long time Um, and one other small point is that the NHS is not free for everyone and we have to accept that we actually have a really unequal system in that people who come to this country who aren't citizens they do not get free healthcare, and that is I think something we can actually challenge as doctors in our workplaces get rid of the posters in A&E I think we can actually do quite a lot to challenge that specific problem, which I think would make such a difference to so many patients who do not get the healthcare that they deserve. I was like, literally, literally in my mind, because I was literally like, I literally made notes about like, yeah, immigration checks, uh, like when you're registering for a GP and stuff. And I, I've always found that mm. weird and odd. Like what? But yeah, sorry, Pat. Mm. No, sorry. I, I was going to say, um, because there was a charity called Doctors of the World. They were doing a campaign about um doctors are not border guards right like you know they come in to take a box to say that yeah they're i don't know from the eu or have permanent residence here here before treating them yeah that was a great campaign i, re- I tried to do my elective with them mm. but um because of covid it was too difficult but yeah they're, they're an amazing organization oh. to follow if you're interested in that sort of thing yeah i think we we have to just cultivate a more compassionate environment which actually also involves funding and staffing and making the work environment better for staff so we can actually do our jobs which is treating patients properly rather than our 70% of our job which is treating the initial problem but ignoring everything else because you don't have time or money and if we fund the NHS properly and we fund the welfare state everyone's health will get better but I mean I'm probably not going to be the one to actively change that but what we can do is kind of yeah do some sort of advocacy and activism but if anyone is listening and wants to become the next prime minister then that would be really useful lily there's nothing stopping you from becoming the next prime minister um (laughs) i think you can do it i would vote for you i wouldn't vote for me i'd vote for you as well um actually i'd make you my health secretary um yeah But I think also, like, you don't have to just sort of have a position of power. I mean, as you say, sort of calling out some of the BS, like, you know, if it's sort of posters in, uh, in A&E departments that are sort of distinguishing uh, some patients that can and can't access care. You know, that's clearly nonsense, and it's clearly within your power to sort of react to that. So, um, you know, I think, I think that there are things that you can do, as well as, as you say, like sort of uh, being mindful of, uh, of how you sort of engage 
with patients. And, you know, I guess I would say don't be sort of uh, afraid of, like, you know, going a bit of extra uh, distance for, for people. We don't just have to sort of treat everyone equally. I think we can sort of treat people according to need, and I guess that sometimes that means that uh, some people get a little bit more. Um, I guess the important thing is that we sort of actually get the balance right so that we don't sort of, uh, you know, sort of deliver more care to those people who have less need and that we do sort of try and uh, deliver more care to those people who, who have greater need. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think, you know, there's, there's stuff that you, can, uh, that you guys can, uh, can do going forward. Um, and, you know, I think, in, in, you know, as long as we're sort of conscious of this, we can sort of avoid at least worsening things like sort of health inequalities uh, and we can actually sort of go some way towards uh, mitigating them or, or sort of reducing them as far as we can. Um, so I've got a yeah. question. Um, I think within, between the four of us, I think we're quite a self-selected group of people who are just like quite interested in social determinants of health generally. And <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> What what would you um, recommend to like the listeners um, who may not know very much or don't know how to become more aware of things? What would you recommend that they do like right now in this instance? Like after listening to this podcast, what would you say they should do? So I guess um, I mean it depends because like, I guess everyone's sort of you know probably pretty busy preparing for various other things. You know we heard Lily at the outset sort of describe how uh, much she had sort of going on uh, in the near future, and I'm sure that that's true for a lot of medical students. But I think sort of uh, being aware of these issues and sort of gaining an understanding of how people's social context impacts their health and their health presentations. I guess that's something that you can sort of do through reading, but also just sort of thinking about it like when you're next sat in front of patients when you're next sort of sat uh in a clinic and you know my recollection of like sometimes sort of sitting in clinics uh you know be that in sort of gp surgeries or hospital outpatient appointments sometimes it could be a little bit dull but if you sort of take that uh that frame and sort of try and sort of think about sort of people's backstories and what might brought them here and like what some of the tensions might be in their sort of uh their their context that uh you know and like whether actually the the advice of the consultant or GP is going to be sort of manageable uh, for them. You know, if you sort of think about those sorts of things and maybe sort of keep it on your mind, um, maybe it becomes a little bit more interesting and maybe you start to sort of engage in it a little bit more. Yeah, I think, um, I know earlier I joked that you can't have every medical student go into a really deprived environment intentionally. But actually, I wonder if making home visits a compulsory part of medical school would make such a difference, especially in East London. There's such a Mm. huge deprived community in East London that actually it amazes me that some medical students have managed to avoid that. And I think with, obviously, boundaries and appropriateness and professionalism, I wonder if having every medical student on every GP placement at some point encouraged to go on a home visit, I think that would probably go quite far to, again, the emotional education part of it. Yeah, I think that's a good idea instead of just seeing patients in, you know, kind of the sanitised area of hospital or in a a clean ward without putting a background. Exactly. And also people who are who get home visits, at least in my experience, there are, they're a specific group. And other than kind of people who are immobile or in nursing homes, actually they often are more deprived and more isolated. Yeah, it's a good reminder of um, well, what we said and what Andrew said about uh, what we can do in the medical capacity as well as kind of wider um, capacity, say, um, challenging the system. 
uh, as a medical student. So yeah, as we kind of close to the end of the episode, um, is there anything that you'd like to add? My only thing to add is that I think the sun from Scotland has come to London because my room is now sunny. <laughs> yeah. The sun is still very much here. The like the reflection of the river, the view from my room. Oh my god! Like it's a shame this oh, is a podcast because it's beautiful. Um, and I think you guys should all be very, very, very jealous. Um, but I guess my take home is, yeah, treat the person in front of you. And health is political. Um, again, another episode where I stopped myself from doing a fire and brimstone speech. I'm very proud of myself. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how you can practice medicine without being somewhat political. But that's just my opinion. But yeah. Mm. Yeah, for similarly, um, I think if you're able to, which absolutely not everyone is, integrating in something social science is was made such a vast difference to my awareness of this sort of stuff. Um, but in lieu of that, kind of accessing and looking for resources on that sort of thing, which sounds then completely vague, um, but even just like read, like googling some of the journals that mm. do kind of health policy science stuff um and kind of reading a few of the ones that are about social determinants of health and poverty and deprivation and even like things like structural violence by paul farmer which i know he's very controversial at the moment although Mm -hmm. r.i.p um that's obviously an amazing article to read if you want some sort of introduction into how medicine is not just as clearly said it's like a political sterile Mm -hmm. environment it's actually the complete opposite I think you know we've talked about a few things that uh, that people consider have on their mind. I would uh, advocate for those uh, for those social changes that sort of get closer towards tackling the causation of uh, of a lot of people's health problems. You know, thinking about sort of taxation, sickness benefits, unemployment benefits, uh, housing policies, blah blah blah. Um, and and you know, in our day to day practice, I would uh, encourage people to sort of ensure that we uh, don't worsen inequalities through our interactions. That we're sort of mindful of. Uh, of the the impact that we can make, make sure that we're not sort of uh, being punitive towards people who live in uh, difficult social circumstances by giving them a hard time about their, uh, you know, their behaviour such as smoking and alcohol, whilst supporting them to sort of make changes if that's what they want to do. Um, yeah, and hopefully then we can sort of actually sort of play a positive uh, role. But remembering that it's not us as doctors that are going to fix health inequalities. Uh, it's going to sort of happen outside of us. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on to the episode and sharing your um, insights and expertise. Yeah, and that's what that's all we have time for today. Um, we're also currently looking for new Sharp Scratch panelists like... Yeah, like Lily and Cody. So if you like, we're to so join fun. Come and join us. Yes. So yeah, if you would like to represent the voice of medical students um, in future Sharp Scratch episodes, please visit the show notes and apply via the link. And if you would like to hear our episodes, please subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you go you get podcasts. And in two weeks' time, you'll be notified of our next episode. While you wait for the next one, do check us out on social media. We are BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag ShapScratch. I'd love to hear your ideas for what we should cover later in the season. Uh, it's also really helpful if you could leave us a rating and a review on wherever you get your podcasts, as it helps other med students to find a show. Until then, it's goodbye from us. Bye. Goodbye, Bye. Cheerio.